Hey, this is Scott Klosowski. You've landed at The Digital Optimist, a podcast that looks into the future of technology impacts on the world. Yeah, I see a brighter future coming, so jump into a few episodes and see if you agree. Yeah, I'm excited about uh, this podcast, uh, all about machine learning and deep learning. Uh, going on with our machine intelligence podcast that we've been doing, this series. Uh, and so glad to get back to this one. Now, if you jump and skip the last podcast, which was just kind of an interstitiary podcast uh, that we did on resiliency, uh, and go back, the podcast before this in the machine intelligence series was all about artificial intelligence. This podcast is going to be talking about how we train an artificial intelligence. And I think that's critical. It's, it isn't talked about enough. And let's start off with a story. You know I like to start off with a story. Many of you may be able to relate to this. I remember the first time that lots of different things happened to me with technology. I remember the first time that I got on the internet. I remember the first time that I saw email. I remember the first time that I got in my truck and I got an alert from Google Maps and I looked down and it was making a prediction about where I was going to go and how long it would take me to get there. I distinctly remember it because I was actually heading to church, and it was telling me that, hey, it's going to take you 25 minutes to get to church, and here's the best route. And it was the first time I'd ever seen that. And I really had to stop and think about that for a minute because I thought, well, you know, obviously there's not some person at Google that's sitting there watching what I'm doing. It's clearly some machine learning that's going on. Uh, where their system has an algorithm that's built in that's looking at my behaviors and then trying to get out in front of what I'm going to do and help me. All right, spin forward a few years. Uh, within the last year, I started getting an email. And I remember the first day I got the email from Cortana. And the email from Microsoft Cortana said, hey, here were some things that you said in your email that might have been commitments, basically. Can we check off that you've done these or not done these? Now, I don't know if you've gotten this or not, but if you've not gotten this before, it's just an email where they're using machine learning, maybe even deep learning, to be able to just scan your email and look for certain types of keywords that are things like, I will send you, you know, X, or I will make an appointment, or I will look at a document, Right. It's looking for keywords that are action items, and then it's basically calling them out, right, in a series of emails saying, hey, did you do this thing? I remember the first day I got it and I looked at it, of course, as a technologist, I was thinking, hmm, at the same time, creepy and interesting and maybe valuable. And so every day after that, I paid close attention to it, and I've been watching how it's been slowly improving. You know, now it's calling out documents that uh, I've been sent that might tie to a meeting that I might have. And all of this is Cortana, which would just be the name for their kind of intelligent service, watching what I am doing and trying to be helpful to me. And again, all of that's being done with machine learning algorithms. It's, it is learning what might be a commitment, calling it out to you. And as you interact with it more and more and times millions of people that are interacting with it, I'm sure this algorithm is self-training, self-learning to get better and better. And in both cases, here is technology 
with some type of machine learning, some type of deep learning, making a decision as to how it could be convenient to us, how it could be helpful to us. And these are early harbingers of what life will be like in the future. Now, to understand how these tools work, it's important to to understand that we have two different types of being able to train software. Machine learning, what we call machine learning, and then what we would call deep learning. These things are going to obviously have a massive impact on us because we can talk about AI all we want and we've had, you know, AI for some amount of years. You know, what is going to make AI more and more powerful is the ability to train it at a much faster speed. When we can train AIs at a much faster speed, that's going to help us to be able to find all kinds of amazing things that we can do with AI. So it's not just, hey, I got to build an AI. It's, all right, how do we actually train the AI to do something that is valuable for us? This is where machine and deep learning come in. And one of the things I want you to understand in this podcast is I'm going to try to use very plain language with you today. I'm not going to get very geeky about exactly how these things work. Uh, It's more important for you to understand the concepts of these and probably what the impacts of these are. I really want you to see that based on the fact that we have machine learning and deep learning now, that it's going to create interesting outcomes for humanity. And obviously, I wouldn't be talking about it if I didn't think there were going to be some positive outcomes along the way. So let's dive in and uh, talk a little bit about teaching an AI. Now, we can back up. An AI is just a set of rules, a set of algorithms. It's it's software uh, where we are taking the rules that we would make a decision by, right, in our human minds, and we are coding those rules into a piece of software so that when you give the piece of software data, it can then apply the rule. Same thing that happens in our brains, all right? We have data that says, how do I get from my house to the office, Right? We have that data. We have the data about what the different options are. We have the data about which options might be best on which days at what times a day. So we have a lot of data that is residing in our brain, and then we make decisions based off of those, that data, and that those decisions can fluctuate right? based on the time of day, based on what's going on, based on how, you know, how much I want to drive one way versus another, you know, based on who's in the car with me. Right? So we make decisions based off of a lot of data. It's the same thing that an AI does. We build rules into the, into the AI algorithms, then we apply data, and then it can make a decision. Now, the question is, how do we train it to have the rules? Now, at the most basic level, what we do is we, we basically inventory the rules that are in our brains. And we say, all right, uh, here are the 20 rules that I use to decide how I drive to work today. Here are the 20 rules I decide to approve a loan. Here's the 20 rules I I decide what I'm going to eat today, right? And those rules are ever-changing. But we have rules, and those rules, once we apply some data and conditions to them, then we make a decision that's exactly the same way that an AI works, but somebody's got to program the rules in. And we can do that by hand, and that's what we did in the early days to be able to create anything that even resembled an AI, was we just wrote these rules by hand, one at a time, until we had enough of the rules in there that the AI could make a decision that was an approximation of a human decision. However, we are now building other tools 
that are allowing us to do machine learning in a much easier way. We don't have to necessarily write in every single rule, and then we can go all the way to more towards deep learning, which is, you know, we can uh, actually create a scenario where the AI trains itself. It builds its own rules uh, because we tell it what the outcome is that we want to achieve, and then basically the AI, uh, the neural networks, they're able to, to create their own ability to create the rules. I'll talk more about that when we get into deep learning. You know, let's start off from a place of just understanding that this is how we can teach AIs to be smarter in a much faster way so that we are not having to do it by hand. Now, it's important to note before we kind of dive in with machine learning and deep learning that, you know, AI is going to become very universal in our lives you know, I think of it like how we would think about water or electricity today. Water and electricity are pretty universal. We need them almost everywhere we go. They're available almost everywhere that they go. And they're there to help us. And we sure know it when we don't have one or the other. Well, I, I really believe AI is going to be much the same. We will live in a world of ambient intelligence right? It will surround us. That is going to be something that will be a very positive, helpful world. I'll talk about that more later. But I just want to make sure you have the context of, you know, uh, in order to build out this ambient intelligence, where there might be hundreds of different AIs that are watching us all the time, helping us to run our lives, helping us to be healthy, safe, improving our lives. Those AIs also are going to have to continue to learn. They're going to have to get smarter, smarter, smarter. You can't build them once and then they're done. And machine learning, deep learning is how we're going to get there. All right, so let's start with machine learning. So machine learning uh, would encompass a few different ways that you can teach a machine to learn uh, or teach it its lessons, teach it what it needs to know, teach it its rules. Now, again, at one end of the spectrum, you can just hard code the rules. You can just say, here, here is the rule, how it is impacted, right? Watch the data. If the data is this, do this. You can just build a series of these rules or algorithms, right? And then the machine will behave the way you want. If we're talking about robotics, I mean, we could actually do machine learning by showing it what to do. We can allow, we can allow the machine to copy what we do by hand. You know, we could pick up red balls out of a box and the machine could copy us picking up red balls out of a box. Or we could train the machine like we would train a child. We can ask it to do a task. And then anytime it does the task wrong, we could show it that it did the task wrong. And it slowly, you know, is able to learn, right, the right way to do the task. We can tell a machine to look at a lot of data and we can tell it what to look for. And then when it's looking for uh, anomalies in the data, right, or looking for specific things in the data, it can then learn eventually, oh, this is what they want me to look for. So without, again, getting very techy, uh, you know, there are a handful of ways that we can teach machines to learn. But think of it this way. Machine learning always means that there's a human involved with telling the machine how to find its rules or telling the machine directly what the rules are. Again, I, I, I like to think of it as the same way a human teaches a child, right? Or the same way we would teach a dog, okay? The same way we, we have a, a methodology for how we teach it what we want it to do and then how we repeat that behavior, right? That's what machine learning is. All right, let's go on to deep learning. Let's define that so that we can talk about these more. Um, I guess before I jump into deep learning, let me just say one more thing. 
uh, machine learning is all about how to store human knowledge, right? It's storing human knowledge. So we're, we're taking human knowledge and we're transferring it into the machine. And machine learning is just sets of tools that make it easier and easier for us to take the rules that are in our human minds and get those over into machines. That's a critical distinction to understand. Machine learning is about how do we store human knowledge in machines so that they can use it, right? How do we transfer it and store it there? Now, deep learning, very different. So deep learning uh, would be all about how do we let the machine create its own knowledge, its own set of rules, so that it can amplify right, what we might have done as far as giving it rules. In other words, hey, we want you to learn how to do something better than us. Now, deep learning, it, it, again, without getting too technical about it, it, is an ability to use a neural network to set up a neural network, give the neural network a task, and then the, the deep learning system will actually build its own rules to be able to do that task. And so a famous story, of course, is like DeepMind and Google. Uh, they wanted to teach uh, an AI to be able to identify pictures, right, in pictures what was a cat. And so they showed, uh, let's say, a million pictures of cats. And after they showed a million pictures of cats, they were able to show it pictures of cats, and it was able to more accurately identify what was a cat than a human being. Now, you might step back and go, you've got to be kidding me. Like every human being knows what a cat is. How could showing a million pictures to a neural network allow it to identify the rules for what is a cat in a better way than a human? Interesting question. If you looked at the million pictures, you would see some of the pictures where you had hairless cats. Uh, you had cats that looked a little bit like dogs. Uh, you know, a lion is a cat. Are we, are we talking about house cats? Are we talking about the cat, you know, family on the family tree? right? It gets a lot more complicated as far as what is a cat. And yes, a human being might get, may get slightly less pictures right because a, dog, a picture of a cat that looks suspiciously like a dog might throw them off if they don't look at it quickly, you know, or a hairless cat or maybe a different breed of cat, who knows, right? A breed of cat that they haven't seen before. Whereas uh, when you've looked at a million pictures that have been defined as cats, you can build your own rules, for what a cat is, and that's what the deep learning system does. But I'll give you even a better example of deep learning. So a, a different way that you can train a system to have rules that are faster, better than human rules is to think about a game. So when you hear stories that uh, like DeepMind was able to play the game Go, which is a very complicated game, right? A complicated set of possible moves in Go. And when you hear that they were able to train a machine using deep learning to play Go against Go masters, and they were able to beat the Go masters, uh, that isn't the whole story. I mean, it's interesting enough that they were able to, to train the machine to play Go. They beat the number one Go master in the world, and then he lost some of his desire to ever play Go again because he said, why is it any fun to play if I know that a machine is always going to be able to beat me? You know, that, that's a whole a separate story, right? The cool thing to me was not that you could program a system to play the game of Go and beat a human. It was how fast we were able to do it. I mean, we were able to program, a, you know, Deep Mind to be able to, uh, or Big Blue to be able to play chess, right? And then uh, it was able to beat Gary Kasparov at chess. And so, you know, 
That took, though, massive amounts of hours of, uh, of machine learning by hand, you know, with chess masters showing game after game after game to a, to a software system so that it would learn how to be able to play chess. And it was only as good as the combined knowledge of all of those chess masters who helped build it. So took a long time and probably only as good as the combination of the masters who taught it. Very different than what happened with Go when they chained uh, the, the system to play the game of Go. In this case, they used a GAN, a, gener- a generative adversarial network, a GAN, which means they took two neural networks and they explained to the neural networks what the rules were for the game of Go. Okay, they programmed in the rules and then they basically said to the two different neural networks, here's what winning means. Okay, now we want you to play games against each other. Now, the two neural networks, who now both knew the rules and both knew what winning was, and that was what the goal was, they started playing games against each other. And obviously, one's going to win and one's going to lose, maybe for random reasons at the beginning. But the, the system was built for the GAN to be able to build its own rules. So each of the neural networks was learning. It was building rules for how to play the game of Go. Now, it's able to play millions of games of Go very quickly. So let's say in a matter of weeks, the generative adversarial network has played so many games of Go, no human being in their lifetime could have played that many games. Now, what that does is, if as, as it's building strategies, testing strategies out across millions of games, it's able to learn how to play Go in ways humans have never even thought of. So couple of interesting things underneath this story is, hey, it wasn't just that, uh, you know, a intelligent AI could beat a Go master. It was that it only took weeks to program the system, right? And then the other thing that's interesting is it was using strategies that humans hadn't seen before. That is a critical distinction to understand in what we're talking about today. When you built a chess playing system where it was just grandmasters teaching it what to do, then when you played against that system, you were only going to see human strategies. Now, you train something with a GAN, a generative adversarial network, right? A deep learning system. Those were two machines that played against each other, played millions of games, developed their own rules and strategies. So when a human goes to play against that machine, it's clearly going to see strategies that the human beings have never seen before because we did not program the rules. The machine built its own rules. Now, it's critical to understand that difference, right? Machine learning is the compilation of human knowledge, right, put into machines to then be able to duplicate or replicate what a human does. Deep learning is machines teaching themselves based off of some competition or based off of the data that was given to them, okay? So deep learning, they're creating knowledge. They're creating strategies for doing things that human beings have never seen. All right, let me give you a couple of case studies. Let's start making this a little bit more practical uh, before we talk about all my optimism around this. If we think about a case study of a machine learning to be our a health assistant to us, So uh, this is going to be obviously something we all want. We all want to be healthier. You know, we all would uh, be interested in living longer, or I should say most people do. And so health is a huge thing to us. We spend a massive amount of money on health. You know, it's a critical piece of our life, how to stay healthy. 
So if we think about machine learning software to help us be healthy versus deep learning, right, to help us be healthy, right, what we're talking about is either a lot of doctors putting a lot of advice into an AI that would give us advice constantly by monitoring what we are doing, right, monitoring uh, data coming off our wrists, off wearables, monitoring our actions, our behaviors, what we eat, how we exercise, right, and then the compilation of health information would watch that data and then be able to give us advice, right? That would be a machine learning-based system, right? A deep learning-based system would be turning a deep learning system loose on huge amounts of data coming in from all human beings, you know, observing, well, who lives the longest, right? Who has the healthiest bodies? And then what's all the input going into these bodies? Hey, let's build our own rules. Let's not look at what humans believe, Let's build our own rules for what we think is going to create a healthy human. And the same thing could happen as in our gaming example earlier, that what might happen is the machines might discover certain correlations or causations that we don't even know today to be able to help us to be healthier. Now, we're already starting to step down this path, right? We got wearables. We already have wearables starting to be able to pull data off of us. You know, I use the Calm app. In the Calm app, um, I fill out the information around, uh, you know, how I feel today, how I slept today, you know, what I'm grateful for today. And all of those things I've noticed, those become data. And I've noticed that they're starting to use it at a very basic level, right, to be able to show me kind of correlations on what kinds of things uh, make me happier. And so... You know, if you really step back and think about kind of this this health example, right, of of having data coming off our our bodies, uh, things we type in, uh, and then something watching it, right, a, a deep learning tool watching that, and then building all kinds of rules about well, what keeps Scott healthy, not what keeps everyone healthy, you know, but what specifically keeps Scott healthier, because we can monitor Scott every day, every year, right, for a long time. Right, so that would be a case study of where we're going to see this show up in our life. Another case study for people, I'll go a different direction for a second, autonomous cars or trucks. Right, a lot of people think I, that the brain for an autonomous car or truck is in that truck. And let me just say, the brain is not in the vehicle. The brain is in a giant computer in the cloud, right? And that brain talks to all of the trucks or cars that that brain controls. So we're not training, you know, a million separate brains of uh, autonomous cars, right? We're training one brain, right, that is uh, in charge of all of these different vehicles. Now, the other way to think about that is all of these vehicles are having experiences. They are creating data, right? They are having something step in front of it, right? They're having to diagnose a new sign or a new situation that has come up. And so every time there is a new situation, a new condition, a new piece of data, that information, and and whether it got handled successfully or unsuccessfully, goes up to the brain. Now, that's how uh, autonomous car companies today are programming the cars. That's why they drive them millions of miles, is because they want those cars to experience everything they could possibly experience, and then push all that data up into the autonomous car brain. Now, obviously, machine learning and deep learning have to be used so that you can absorb huge amounts of data coming off of all of these vehicles to be able to look for some new situation and then be able to build a new rule for it, 
without a human having to custom code that new rule. So autonomous vehicles are a great example of how machine learning and deep learning are being used today to be able to program the autonomy of that vehicle. And again, I, I, you got to step back. There's no way that any one driver, I don't care how many miles you've driven, are going to experience the same amount of experiences that the one autonomous car brain is going to be able to experience because it has driven so many more miles than any one human has. It's able to aggregate the knowledge of all these. And then the other thing is, there's no way a human would know how to react appropriately in every single situation. And an autonomous vehicle can. So think a vehicle slipping on ice. When a vehicle slips on ice, the human being has to make a decision. How fast am I going? How likely is it that I'm going to hit something? Do I turn the wheel right or left while I have no traction in the car because I'm slipping on ice? Right? Do I pull the emergency brake? Do I jump out of this damn thing? Right? A human's got a lot to think about really fast. Now, our brains are good at a lot of things, but sometimes our brains don't function tremendously when a car is sliding on ice. I, in fact, I would venture to guess that half the people do the wrong thing with how they turn their wheels or the options that they take. All right? An autonomous vehicle will have had so many experiences tested of losing traction and what should be done, it will not make any mistakes. Why? Because it's been a combination of machine learning and deep learning that has trained that fully autonomous brain. All right, so there you go. There's a couple of case studies. All right, let's hit the positive, right? I really want to talk about why. This is a digital optimism area. You know, while, as always with machine intelligence, there's a whole bunch of people that are worried about all the movies they've ever seen and how, oh, machines are going to learn the wrong things. Uh, machines are going to learn to turn us all into paper clips, right? Whatever it is that the machines have learned. Like people fear that, you know, yeah, you know, machine bias, AI bias, like these things are absolutely real, right? If you feed a machine bad data and it's doing self-learning rules, of course, it is going to build the wrong rules, well, hey, here's the answer. We've got to make sure we don't feed it bad data. I mean, do we need to audit uh, some of the rules that get put into machines? Okay, if we look at machine learning, what happens when the human beings train it wrong or purposely give it the wrong rules? Right? Of course, right? we'll have to have some oversight and audit what a machine does. But what I think we need to understand is, uh, you know, take away people purposely disrupting the learning of a, of a machine. You know, then we don't have things to fear. And again, if I make an analogy and I'm back to the how do we train our children, hey, there are some parents that teach their children things that are horrible, right? Whether they meant to or not, they teach children to, to uh, do drugs because they were doing drugs and the children saw it. They teach children to use weapons that the children probably shouldn't have been taught how to use. And later on, that becomes a huge problem when the child doesn't have the discretion to understand how to use the weapon. Right? We have uh, parents who teach children bias. Right? They teach them to be racially biased or whatever kind of biases they pass on. So they're giving the child bad data, and this has horrible outcomes on our world. It's interesting that we fear more that a machine will learn the wrong thing than we understand how much we teach our children the wrong things, and we don't seem to be as worried about that. Now, a machine can be taught fast and effectively, right? This is one of the things we have to understand is we can teach a machine quicker and more effectively than we can teach a child. And there's a lot to that. 
Now, that doesn't mean machines are better than children. It just means that when it comes to teaching something, we are building much better tools and capabilities to teach machines and to get knowledge into them to make decisions or allow them to make their own rules, right? So we're building tools that allow us to teach machines way faster than we can teach another human being. That is a massive thing to understand. For all of history, we have passed knowledge by going human to human to human with books or talks or whatever we used, okay? Now we have a whole new set of tools for moving knowledge into machines. And obviously, we are right on that now, and that's going to completely change the world. How is it going to change the world? Well, initially what we're doing, we're teaching machines how to do highly repetitive tasks and also critical tasks or tasks that humans can't do because it takes too much information uh, and we can't hold it all in our minds and process it fast enough. So we are specifically pointing machines at doing things that either human beings wouldn't want to do or aren't effective doing or human beings have no capacity to be able to do. So that's what we're doing. So we can train them faster, and then we have this list of things that we're already starting to teach machines to do. Now, what you have to understand if you step back is the more we teach machines to take over highly repetitive tasks, uh, critical tasks that there can be no mistakes, uh, tasks where it has an overwhelming amount of data to be able to make the decision, as we do that, we are freeing up the humans who no longer have to do that to be able to do something else, some other good use of our time. And that is going to be an astounding impact of this uh, ambient, intelligent world that machine learning and deep learning are going to get for us. So as machines take over these tasks, we shouldn't fear this. We shouldn't worry about it ruining the economy. I say that all the time. We should embrace the fact that it will free us to do the things that are more fulfilling and fun for us as human beings. Right? Being innovative, spending more time on relationships, finding more mystery in the world and solving the mysteries, the curiosity that goes along with that, you know, applying empathy. Right? These are things humans do extremely well that machines would struggle to be able to do. And let me tell you, I would love to trade some of the time I spend in front of machines doing basic tasks to being able to spend more time building relationships more time providing empathy to the people around me, more time using my curiosity to solve mysteries, and more time being creative and innovative. And that's what it's going to allow us to do. So especially when you look at moving from machine learning to deep learning, as we move faster and faster to machines being able to teach themselves, you have to understand what that means. Machines can teach themselves extremely quickly based on huge volumes of data in ways that a human never could, right? It takes human years and years to absorb volumes of data and then years to try to pass on what they've learned to somebody else. It is just not that way with machines, right? Once machines learn and teaching themselves, they can pass on their learnings to other machines extremely quickly, right? So I, I, I'm very excited to see, you know, where that goes. Also know that when a machine is teaching its own rules, I'll just remind you, it will be able to develop rules and knowledge that we don't know today, things we don't see, distinctions we're not aware of, correlations we don't even know are out there, right? Instead of us having tribal knowledge, which is not bad, I would just say it's just not always complete, right? Machines might be able to help us complete what we are doing with knowledge, right? So... When I think 
about what machines will do, and I think about the positive. I think about everyday examples, like I went to Colorado not too long ago, and I was reminded that I have always, out of habit, had a bias towards driving on certain roads to, uh, to my destination in Colorado. We were going to Buena Vista, right? Now, ever since I've been young, I've driven on certain roads to Buena Vista, and I like those. However, I had no idea that they were not the fastest way to get there. So if somebody said, how long does it take to get there? I might say, oh, 11 or 12 hours, right? Using Google Maps, using something that had machine learning, or, you know, embedded in it to be able to teach it the best way to get from point A to point B, all of a sudden Google Maps comes up and says, yeah, there's a route that'll get you there in 10 hours and 15 minutes. And uh, I remember my son and I, Austin, we were like, you gotta be kidding me. This is great. And so we took that route. And it would took a number of roads we never would have thought of taking, and it came in kind of a back way we never would have thought of doing. And we now love that route. Well, I never would have even known that route because I had a bias or, let's say, an ignorance to what the best solution actually was. It was a machine learning tool that understood how to get me from point A to point B better than I did. You know, you know, Google Maps, Apple Maps, right? Whatever the applications are. No, those are the real world examples. Again, I, I want to bring up this picture in your mind of ambient intelligence, right? Hundreds of AIs surrounding you, all of them with machine learning and deep learning capabilities, so that they are getting smarter and smarter every day based on their observation or as the world changes. And that you will have this ambient intelligence almost feeling like a utility around you that you know is getting smarter, better every day of your life and is there to help you, right? There to help you be safe, to provide convenience, to provide security, to help offload work you don't want to do because it's going to do that work for you. Now, if you can hold that picture in your head, I do have to say, like someday, our grandchildren, you know, they will, or great-grandchildren, who, whatever, depending on how old you are, they will live in a world where they have never known not having this ambient intelligence. They will never know a world where they don't live in a world, you know, of knowledge amplification. In other words, it isn't just I go read books, I go to school, and whatever knowledge I can put in my head, there we go. It's not that. It's that, yes, I seek to put knowledge into my mind. But then I am amplified with knowledge that is around me almost ambiently. And so now I combine my knowledge with the ambient knowledge that has come from AIs built with ML and deep learning, right? And that is what my life is like. And it would feel, of course, it will feel horribly strange to them to, to have it turned off for some long period of time because they will come to depend on this ambient intelligent helping them. Now, again, that's a whole other topic of you can be worried about that and, you know, hey, we're going to become dependent on that. What happens if it goes away? All of those kinds of things. Uh, but just understand um, that we, we will not have a disaster if that was turned off. I mean, yes, there will be things that we depend on it to do, right? But if it gets turned off, I really believe humans will still be able to survive. And my argument for that would be you know, like electricity and water. Hey, if they turn the water off at my house, I have other ways that I could go get water and make sure I could drink something. Hey, it was raining the other day. I could have captured water off the roof of my house, boiled it a little bit, I would have been good. And I could have captured a ton of it because it was a big rainstorm, 
right? If electricity goes off, you know what? I'm not going to be able to charge a lot of things. I'm not going to be able to use the electricity, right? However, you know, we got engines. We can get our own little engines that we can turn on and it'll create electricity for us, right? Or we can figure out if it was a horrible disaster, right? How to power things without electricity, that's going to be the same way with the ambient knowledge, right? If it got turned off, we would still be able to survive. But while it's on and while we're attached to it, we're going to be able to do magical things. And I'm very excited about the world that my great-grandchildren are going to be able to live in. I'll give you one last kind of philosophical thought on this one. Think about this as harnessing technology. Machine learning and deep learning are absolutely critical because those tools help get the intelligence into systems, right? And at a high pace. And what we are doing is we are harnessing technology to do what we want it to do. We are harnessing technology to partner with us, to make decisions, to be, you know, make our life convenient, make it safer, make it more secure, right? Make it convenient. We're harnessing technology. And the last thing that I would say, right, when we're talking about this is I hope we do a better job than when we tried to harness nature. So, you know, for thousands of years, man, you know, humankind has been, you know, harnessing nature, but we've done it in ways that have been very detrimental to nature. You know, we've killed off animal species, you know, we've polluted things, we've caused, you know, global warming. Like we, we haven't harnessed nature in a very healthy way. I hope we are a little bit better as we go to harness technology of making sure that as we teach machines how to teach themselves, we do a better job of making sure that we keep that whole experience healthy for the world. All right. Hopefully, this gives you a, a good picture of the power of machine learning and deep learning and what it's going to mean. We will go on. We've got another two or three podcasts in this series on machine intelligence, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you for listening and giving these ideas a chance. Let this be a two-way conversation and connect with me on Twitter at sklazowski or on LinkedIn. I also write a blog that you can find at scottklazowski.com. An added bonus is a library of thought-leading graphics you can download from the site. One more thing, please take a moment and rate this podcast on whatever platform you use. Ideas are powerful change agents, and positive reviews will help spread the digital optimism.